all full of authentic points of view. Myself alone have at least 22. They come from the things that we have been through. Those things can either make or break you. Life is full of ups and downs. It's our choice to either smile or frown. Please choose to smile today. Because it's one thing that's free to give away. People say that life isn't hard. It's what you make of it. But what if only struggle surrounds you? What can you take from it? Life can be hard and some things aren't fair. Please listen to others just to be aware. All I'm saying, you never know what someone's going through. Just because they look happy doesn't make it true. Hopefully this podcast will help you see. You are not alone. You have at least got me. We are more alike than you may know. But if we stay quiet, we will never grow. Don't ever give up because you got this. If you quit, think of all the opportunities that you could miss. We are all full of authentic points of view. Myself alone have at least 22. They come from the things that we have been through. Those things can either make or break you. Life is full of ups and downs. It's our choice to either smile or frown. Please choose to smile today. Because it's one thing that's free to give away. People say that life isn't hard, it's what you make of it, but what if only struggle surrounds you, what can you take from it? Life can be hard and some things aren't fair, please listen to others just to be aware. All I'm saying, you never know what someone's going through, just because they look happy doesn't make it true. Hopefully this podcast will help you see, you are not alone, you have at least got me. We are more alike than you may know, but if we stay quiet, we will never grow. Don't ever give up, because you got this. Think of all the opportunities that you could miss. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Authentic Points of View. I'm Daniel Boer, your host, as always. Woohoo! All right. So. I am excited. Everybody laughs when I do that. I think that's why I do it now. I don't know. It just <laughs> happened organically. And now it just people just chuckle. Okay. So of course, I'm excited about today's guest. I love to talk about really important uh, topics and things that <coughs> lots of people do not discuss or really admit. So this is really going to help someone and I'm really excited about it. So Richard Capriola spent 11 years working as an addiction counselor for Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas, before retiring in 2019. Uh, Because of his experience, he wrote a book that helps parents of addicted children. So I'm so excited. Welcome, Richard, to the show. Thank you, Danielle. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for inviting me to talk a little bit about this this topic of... uh, adolescent substance abuse of course um it's really important and it's it's sad but it's it happens and i feel like it's happening younger and younger these days so you know kids are starting things a lot earlier than when i was little and i'm 40 and so um but yeah it's it's something that needs to be talked about so thank you so much for what you do and I'm excited to, I'm actually going to learn as well. So I love to learn. So I'm going to learn from you as well, which is okay. really great. Yeah. Um, I don't know. 
everything. Uh, so, <laughs> of course, but <laughs> I'm not a big, um, not that, not saying it's a bad thing, but I'm not a big drinker. I'm not a big, like, you know, like, so I don't even wouldn't recognize some things so one question later on is is gonna help a lot of people and me as well so okay okay, let's just start off so how was your childhood like where did you grow up and all all that kind of stuff i grew up in northern illinois a town called rockford illinois which is um northwest of chicago almost to the wisconsin border but not quite there um and that's where i was born uh, <clears throat> and um i i lived there uh through my school years <clears throat> excuse me um my father passed away when i was nine years old mm-hmm. so it Sorry. was uh, and and i have had one brother who was uh, a little older than me um after my father passed away he uh ventured off and joined the air force um and uh it was pretty much myself and my mom for a number of years we moved in and lived with my aunt for a long time and and her husband um and then um i um went off to college Uh, i would say my childhood was pretty typical pretty average um and um um, you know, I, I had some good experiences, some bad experiences. I think it's probably just a typical, you know, adolescent childhood uh, environment. Awesome. So <clears throat> I think, yeah, I think when we look back, there's a lot of <laughs> things that we could really say could be either good or bad, depending on the person, right? So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah my, my brother <clears throat> and I were raised in the same house <clears throat> and he... <laughs> So he passed away at 26, but we lived in Germany. And so when we were little and it's so funny because I loved Germany. I loved everything about it. I honestly just said today that that would be my dream place to live again. And so my mom was telling me a story the other day and I know this story, but uh, we were telling it to my little daughter that never got to meet him. So when he was little, he said <laughs> it was so funny. I mean, I mean, I think it was like four or five. <laughs> And so we were living in, in Germany and um, she he hated school. So I think he was probably five. My mom's like, why do you hate school? What's going on? And he's like, I can't understand a damn word they're saying. And so, <laughs> so, so yeah, so my interpretation of it was way different than that. And so it's, it's funny, you know. Um, all right. So when did you drop out of high school and then? Where did you end up finishing and getting your degree? Well, I dropped out of high school um, in my my junior year. I was one of those kids who hated high school. Um, And uh, so I dropped out and continued to work uh, for a while. I think I dropped out in the spring of my junior year. And then I enrolled in a community college uh, right after the beginning of the new year, sometime around in January. And um, I loved college. I hated high school, but I loved college. Um, I get to set my own schedule, pick my own courses, uh, decide if I wanted to go in the morning, afternoon, or evening, had a part-time job at the community college. And then um, I loved loved college, uh, transferred to Western Illinois University, uh, graduated uh, from Western Illinois University, 
and then uh, went to work, uh, well, accepted an internship with the Illinois General Assembly for a year, worked for the Illinois State Senate as an intern, then went to work for the Department of Education and spent about 30 years working for the Illinois uh, Department of Education. And during that time, went off to the University of Illinois, received an MBA degree, and then returned a number of years later and uh, and and got a, a master's degree in what is addictions counseling. So um, I don't have a high school diploma, don't have a GED, but I do have three college degrees. That is so amazing. So I didn't even know that uh, you could do that. So and I don't not, think not you trying- can. Okay. I don't think you can anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. I was very fortunate. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't mean to sound ignorant. Well, I guess if you lack the knowledge, that is ignorance. But <laughs> so I just I really didn't know. Yeah. Nowadays, I think that the process is a little bit different. But that's yeah. so really inspiring. I just want to tell you that because so many people, you know, for whatever reason it is, I know people that had kids very young and might not have finished school or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. But that is not what defines you or like your situation. And and look what you did. You're like, no, high school's not fun. Uh, <laughs> you don't have freedom, right? And right. so you you said, no, I'm gonna do it my way. And what uh, that's such a awesome thing that it worked out like that. And that you kept going to school and that you really are doing, you know, what, well, you're retired now, but you were doing what you loved, and it doesn't mean, you know, people, even people that don't go to college can be very successful. You know, I mean, so people, I think a lot of different cultures and I'm not saying anything about it because, you know, everybody is different, but a lot of cultures base everything on education. Like that's, you know, the epitome like if you are you have to have this of education or be a doctor or whatever to be successful and that's my opinion is that's not necessarily true like I'm a nurse and so I don't have a bachelor's degree and I only have an associate's degree yeah but my aunt okay made it very very far (laughs) off of a diploma back in the 70s so she had only a nursing diploma and mm-hmm. she never had, she never went and got an associate's, a bachelor's, a mask, nothing. And she was the boss of the doctors and ran a whole hospice thing for years. So it, it really, that doesn't define you. Your experience and your, your, what you learn, your knowledge, all that stuff is really what, you know, makes a person, your personality, like, you know, those kind of things. So, but I, I think, think that's right. I, I, th- I think you're right. I, I think you you bring up an excellent point. Uh, you know, when I talk to high school kids, and some of them tell me how much they hate high school. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell them, well, you know, just stick with it, and um, you know, try college. You might find college to be a completely different experience than high school. I know I did. And the other issue, which which you bring up, uh, is the fact that you know. College isn't for everybody. You don't have to measure yourself in terms of whether or not you went to college. There are many careers um, that don't require a college education. There are many careers, a lot of them in the medical field, as you know, that uh, that that you can have a great career with uh, with just a couple of years of, of of you know college education at a community college and many trade schools too. So, you know, I think. 
I think we focus too much as a society on, you know, whether or not a person goes to college. College is not for everybody. And uh, you don't need a college degree to be uh, successful in life. Right. And you don't need a college degree to be a good person. So that's important. Right. right. And so, um, and I know a lot of people beat themselves up. I did it. I beat myself up. And I remember this is before I ever went to college. So I had kids young. I finished uh, high school, but I had planned on going into the military. And so I took the ASVAB. I never took the um, SATs or anything like that. I only took the ASVAB. So anyway, well, I became a restaurant. I had a kid, well, one kid at 18, and then I had another one at 20. So I never went into the military. I actually uh, was working out with a recruiter and found out like why well, I about passed out. And so that's when we found out I was pregnant. They didn't like that. Uh, the recruiter <laughs> was like, what the heck? Uh, but anyway, so that's not the point. Uh, but, <laughs> but the point, see everybody, we all have different paths. Uh, but the point is like, I became a restaurant manager. And so- I started dating this other guy that was a restaurant manager as well. We were both in training together. And so I was saying like, everybody has these degrees and, you know, they are, they have business degrees or restaurant management degrees and all this stuff. And I don't. And he said to me, he said, um, you can run circles around them. It doesn't matter what they have. Cause I had been in restaurants for a long time, started at 15 years old in restaurants. And so, and I worked my way up that way. And mm-hmm. that's how I became a manager for the first time was actually just, you know, working up the ladder, a hostess, a server, a trainer, and then a manager. So, you know, I knew the the business ins and outs. But anyway, that's the whole thing is that I think it's great if you want to go get degrees. I, I talk to a lot of people that have several degrees and they're very happy. But I've also talked to people that have spent so much money on degrees and don't even use it. Yeah, right, right. So it goes both ways. You know, I'm not saying don't go to college. For goodness sake, I, I went to college and I eventually would go back if I if I needed to. Uh, but and I really enjoyed it. I loved it. So it's it's just not something that you should be forced to do is what I'm saying. Right. Everybody has their own path, you know. So exactly. That's right. All right. So okay, what inspired you? So you got your um the mental health or what was it? The degree was abuse. Is that what you said? It was in substance abuse. Okay. One of them. Yes. So what inspired you to work um, at the psychiatric hospital? Well, towards the end of my tenure working in education, as I think I mentioned, I had worked in the field of education for a long time. Towards the end of, of, of that career, I started working uh, part-time in a regional mental health crisis center. We would take in patients from the emergency rooms, bring them into the crisis center and, uh, and work with them for a period of time. And I noticed that they not only had a mental health crisis that they were dealing with, but a number of them had a substance abuse issue that they were struggling with as well. So I went back to the University of Illinois and obtained a, a master's degree in what basically is addiction counseling. I worked at the crisis center for a while and then was offered a job at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas. Menninger Clinic is one of the top psychiatric hospitals in the country. I think it's in the top 10 of psychiatric hospitals. And they, 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 
service and provide services to both adolescents and to adults, many of which a high percentage of their patients have both a mental health issue and a substance abuse issue. So I was hired as an addictions counselor uh, at Menninger Clinic. I worked on their adolescent unit and I worked on their psychiatric stabilization uh, unit and assessment unit. So I worked with both uh, adolescents and adults. And I worked at Menninger uh, for about 11 years. Um, so I, I really transitioned from education to mental health and then to substance use and eventually ended up working at Menninger Clinic. Well, awesome. But everything has to do with education too. So the more informed they are and the more educated they are, it, well, I would say probably with adults, children understand a lot, but of course, kids are kids. So, and they can't control their environment as much as the adults can. Right. And that's the sad thing. They can't sometimes just get up and leave and leave the situation. <laughs> they don't have a job, you know, they don't have an income or a house or whatever. So, um, but that's, it. that's such an important job. I loved my psych clinicals that I did. And so uh, a lot of the patients, you're right. And it was also, they had a diagnosis, uh, whatever it was, you know, one of them was uh, schizophrenia and uh, he also had a substance abuse problem. Mm -hmm. And so I saw him at his bottom, at his rock bottom at that time, I was a student. And so he was like literally like had all of the everything that we learned about schizophrenia. I could check off when I took the test. That's what he was mm -hmm. uh, yeah, like. That's what he was doing. And so I. So we I lived in a small town. We lived in Ohio, but that was in West Virginia. So Ohio, West Virginia area, very small area. And so he hadn't been taking meds at the time and he had been a. a you know, abusing substances. And so I saw him maybe a year later and it was one of those things where somebody looks familiar, you know, and mm -hmm. you're just like, but he didn't look the same. He looked healthy <laughs> and great. And yeah. so, um, he said, I think I know you from somewhere. And, uh, because of HIPAA, I don't talk about, you know, that stuff, of course. And then it hit me where I knew him from. And I was like, Oh, I don't know. You maybe seen me around, but he was doing so well. And it felt so good to see how well he was doing yeah. and it's it's so great to see when you know did you ever get to see them once they were like you know doing better or healing like did they they came back to you in the process of um you know quitting or whatever or how did it work well there were a number of teenagers that i treated at manninger clinic who um after they left Menninger Clinic, went into a longer term residential treatment program where both their substance use and their mental health issue was so severe that they really could benefit from a longer term residential program. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've heard back from some of them and the, and the stories are rather remarkable because uh, one young lady finished the program, went off to college, completed wow. college. Uh, so it really was rewarding to see how after treatment they had turned their lives around and were doing so remarkably well it's 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 really um really was inspiring to see how you know they had moved so far and had moved so far forward with their lives 
Wow. How beautiful. That's so wonderful. Yeah. And it's, I'm sure it's a great feeling that you have a part of that and that you get to see just like, because not a lot of stories end up like that, unfortunately. Yeah. So to, to hear the good news and people that rehabbed and they're doing fantastic. It's just, it's so wonderful. I, I loved, um, I worked in the ICU for a little while and unfortunately where I lived in Ohio, lots of uh abuse substance abuse mm -hmm. and uh heroin uh just was big meth all kinds of stuff and so i was a float pool nurse as well first and then i started working in the icu and it was heartbreaking but the thing that i loved about it is that i so when when we had um people that overdosed or whatever we have to take their belongings from them mm -hmm. and so because we don't know you know if they have any drugs or anything with them and sometimes they don't come with any belongings because most of the time they come on an ambulance but um i would sit on the end of the bed this is way before covid <laughs> many many years before COVID, <laughs> and i would sit on the end of the bed and i would ask them about their lives and yeah. it's so important to treat people with kindness and treat them like human beings mm -hmm. and i would hear some of the nurses like they were not as understanding or compassionate as i was and it would make me upset i mean they weren't mean but they just didn't treat them like they probably should have yeah. and i remember one time i was at the little fair or whatever we had in our town and this girl came up to me again she looked totally different and she like basically was giving me a hug and I'm like oh hi <laughs> and like who are you and she told me who she was and she said um you helped me get clean and I cried at the fair it was so beautiful because she said that you really cared and you treated me like a human and yeah. you talked to me so that's great it, it is but what you're doing is it that's what you get to do well you did do because <laughs> you're retired that's so awesome uh, one day I will retire as well. <laughs> but, <laughs> many years from now, probably. Uh, but yeah, so it's it's such a great, heartwarming feeling. Like, even if I didn't have nothing to do with it, I mean, it's not the point. The point to see them so, like, healthy and happy and, yeah. you know, being productive and just, like, it's so great. And she was very yeah. young, too. I think she was, like, a teen um, when I was taking care of her. But anyway, uh -huh. so, yeah, so... What have you learned from any of the the patients, maybe even the adolescent ones that were going through this process? Like, have they taught you anything? Well, I think what they've helped me see is that um, there is hope. Uh, no matter what your condition, whether it's a psychiatric disorder you're struggling with or a substance abuse issue that you are struggling with, that there is a, a sense of hope uh, that, that I saw for myself how treatment works. We know that treatment works. Yeah. We know that the brain has a remarkable capacity to heal itself. Um, and as difficult and as challenging as treatment can be, we know that there is a sense of hope. We know that people can overcome their mental health struggles or their addiction struggles and can move on with their lives. And, and seeing that happen so many times just reinforces 
that sense of hope with me and that 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 and people need to have a sense of hope that they can get through the struggle that they're getting through and i saw so many times that happen that it reinforced my belief that no matter what you're struggling with no matter what you're trying to cope with uh, there is a sense of hope that you can move forward and you can move beyond whatever you're struggling with if you have the support and you have the help and the encouragement uh, to, to help move you along the way. Oh, I love that answer. That's, that's wonderful. And you're right. And it probably helps you in your life as well, because that could be inspiring to someone. I mean, anything could happen and it might not even, you know, like sometimes say, for instance, we have car trouble or something and I've been guilty of like, Oh, but then if you think about, the stuff that other people have gone through and they've gotten through and you're like oh well that's fine it's just you know for today or you know it's gonna be fine <laughs> in a couple you know it's not it's not that and not that it's not serious because of course if something happens to your car it could be serious but yeah. just you know you're just like well this is something that's a, a easier fix than a lifetime of you know fighting this um disorder disease or whatever so that's a great way to look at it that's awesome yeah all right so what was your favorite favorite well let's just say what was your favorite job that you had so the education or working as the counselor like what was your favorite thing to do I think the most rewarding part of of my career uh, was the time that I spent at Menninger Clinic and aside from you know, working with the patients and seeing them get through their struggles and helping them. Um, the, the favorite part of that was being a member of a multidisciplinary team. I had the privilege of working with what I consider some of the nation's uh, brightest and best psychiatrists, some of the nation's best and brightest uh, social workers and psychologists and neuropsychologists, um, and, and, a, and a wonderful team of nurses um, it, it, that all work together with a common goal of helping a patient. And, um, and it, was, it was rewarding to be a part of that team and to see how each discipline's uh, role was in, in bringing hope and, 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 and progress to that patient. Um, you know, and, and whether you were a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a social worker or a nurse, uh, they were all contributing in a significant way to that patient's well-being. And it was just rewarding to see how that entire multidisciplinary team worked together for a common purpose, which was to help that patient. Yes, that's awesome. And it's much needed because it takes a village, right? That's with everything. Yeah. But I love that. And so unfortunately, I feel like in the field, so I've done recovery room for like the last few years, five plus years. And in surgical services, I feel like it's not like that. Or in, yeah. in the hospital, because everybody feels like they're against each other. It's so crazy. It's like, it's one patient and it's all of our patients you know it's okay yeah. like it's not we're not against each other so that's good <laughs> that that 
and psych because it's very important mental health is extremely important just like physical health so that's good that you that everybody approaches it like that because it should be like that it should be yeah absolutely i agree so okay what is your book called and when did it get published how long has it been out it's been out for about a couple of years um and it's it's titled the addicted child a parent's guide to adolescent substance abuse the addicted child a parent's guide to adolescent substance abuse um it's available both as a paperback uh and as a kindle and i kept it to around 100 pages because i wanted this to be a resource for parents and i know that parents are busy they don't have time to read hundreds of pages of this stuff so i kept the i kept the chapters relatively short uh, but i wanted to pack in as much information with the goal being to empower patients or empower parents you know knowledge is power uh, and this is a subject, quite honestly, that, that many parents are afraid of. Many parents don't want to talk about it. They want to think that this can never happen to their child. Um, so I wrote this from the perspective of what should a parent know? What should they be prepared to, to, to deal with? What are the warning signs that 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 they should know and, and 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 just give them a basic understanding of adolescent substance abuse. And also there's chapters on the various street drugs are out there because wow. most parents know about marijuana, they know about alcohol, they know what cocaine is, but they may not be familiar with some of the other street drugs that kids have access to. Wow. So I wanted to give them at least a little bit of information about what drugs are out there that kids have access to. Oh my goodness. That's so important because it's scary. Like I have old kids. So I told you I had kids young. So I'm 21 and 19. And then I have a bonus son in between. But then I started over kind of. And now I have a Mm nine-year-old. And it's so disgustingly scary about how they are putting stuff in gummy shapes and all this stuff. And and if you don't know, uh, unfortunately your kid could have access to something and they might not even know, like, I mean, and they can die from it. And so it's really important that you did that. And I'm thankful that you did that because I actually need to buy your book too. As a nurse, I know certain things, but they have like, literally, I don't know who they are, but whoever is doing this to the, to the drugs, they've taken things. I saw this poster one time in an ER and it literally like matched up like one of them looked like smarties but it was a drug mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. one of them looked like gummies and it was a drug and all this stuff and i'm like who who has the mind to think like that is it's very heartbreaking that yeah. that yeah. people would even produce something like that uh yeah. but it's really important like you said to know those things and if i was not a nurse i wouldn't have known of hardly anything that i i mean most parents wouldn't have most parents don't uh you know they um, and and sadly parents want to stay away from this issue and I think it's because they're afraid of it or they have and, and many of them have the idea that this can't happen to their child. This happens to other children. 
doesn't happen to their child. But but what I say to to parents is there is no child that is totally protected. There's a protect protective environment, but no child is protected, totally protected. No child. It doesn't matter whether where you live, urban, suburban, rural area. It doesn't matter what your level of income. It doesn't matter what school you send your kid to or what church you go to. Yeah. Every child is vulnerable to being captured by this stuff, uh, whether it's alcohol or whether it's drugs. So as a parent, you can feel more confident and be better prepared the more you know about this subject, the, 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 the better you will feel that if you have to deal with this issue, you know what to do. Absolutely. Do you suggest talking to kids at a young age about things and kind of just being open and honest and like warning them and and saying like, hey, this horrible thing can happen. Like you can die if you do this. Do you yeah. agree with that? tactic or is that a little harsh or what do you what's the age maybe that you should start well, it? first of all that's the tactic that doesn't work okay um <laughs> you know um yeah I, believe me when i was working with 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 teenagers and and i would tell them that drugs are illegal or i would tell them that if they continue to use drugs they might not graduate their their grades might go to hell um they they might not get a job they might not go to college they didn't believe any of that stuff uh -huh. so this this just say no and drugs are bad and drugs are illegal they don't care about that okay but but what do they care about what i found they care about is the brain Mm. Kids are in, kids are very curious. They want to learn. They want to know about their brain. So I would educate them about their brain and how it works. You know, what the different areas of the brain are for and, and, and how they work. And then um, I would introduce how drugs work in the brain. Mm -hmm. I have a chapter in my book that helps parents understand uh, a little bit about the neuroscience of how drugs work in the adolescent brain and try to help parents understand that their child's brain is in the process of maturing and developing. Our brains don't become fully developed until around age 24, 25. So oh. it's very important to protect that developing brain. So what I say to parents is, and, 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 and this should be done in the school system too, you know, this idea of having a, an assembly once a year where we bring in a police officer and they try to scare these kids, that's entertaining, but it doesn't work. Mm. So what I would do is for an elementary child, a child in elementary school, I would educate them about the brain, not the drugs, just the brain. Okay. I want that child in elementary school to know what the brain does, how the brain works, what the different areas of the brain are. Simple stuff. You know, you have a part of the brain that helps you walk. You have another part of the brain that helps you talk. Mm -hmm. You have another part of the brain that helps you reason through things. So in elementary school, uh, those elementary ages, I would focus on teaching them about the brain so that by the time they get to middle school, in high school, they know about the brain. So once they get to middle school and high school, 
now that they know about the brain, now you can talk to them about how drugs work in the brain mm. and how drugs can damage the brain. So you start with the basics of this is the brain and this is how it works and this is how important it is. You want to take care of it, you know, when they're in elementary school. And then as they get a little older uh, in middle school and high school, uh, you start to talk to them about how drugs work in the brain. So you put the two together as a package when they get a little bit older. That has more likelihood to work than just telling them drugs are illegal and they're bad for you because they're, they're not going to buy that. Wow. Thank you so much. That was fantastic. Uh, and it's something that we need to know. And it's so helpful from your perspective of, well, I already know what failed with them. This didn't work. So this is how you do it. So that's right. really, thank you so much. Um, Just from being a mom, I really, really thank you for that. And I've heard so many times that people say, oh, that's not going to affect my, my kid or whatever, like you said. And I've lived in uh, bad neighborhoods in Baltimore and I've lived in nice neighborhoods. Uh, I live in Georgia now. And I live in a nice community, but anything can touch anybody anywhere, right? Yeah. You could live out in uh, 20 miles away from people like by yourself in a country and you, you could still, you, that kid's going to go to a store one day. He's going to go to maybe to a physical school. Now there's a lot of homeschooling, but whatever. And so there's access to things that there wasn't before and the internet for goodness sake you can find anybody or anything on the internet and yeah. and it's it's sad and I, I made my daughter watch this thing the other day and she didn't want to watch it because it was scary and i was like well you gotta watch it so this guy posed <laughs> as well because it's real yeah. like people are stealing kids like it's real and uh so she so she Okay, fine. So she watched it and she's this guy posed as a child. So he was a grown man and he posed as a 14, 15 year old on the internet. So the parents were involved. So the parents mm -hmm. were in a van and the kids, 12 years old was the youngest one, let this strange man into her house while her dad was sleeping. What in the world? It was so, wow. it's so shocking that my heart just dropped and the dad was so upset. I mean, I can imagine. And then another one is the one girl who was 13 got in a van with a stranger in a white van with no windows. <laughs> like, hello. Like, first of all, that's totally, uh, why? And then the guy, it was supposed to be a 15 year old, 15 year olds can't drive. And the guy was like, oh, my kid's in the back. Like, hello. Again, so the parents were back there and mm. it was so scary, but it's real life, like real life. And that's what we're trying to warn her. We're like, what happens if somebody, you know, tries to give you this? Or what if somebody tries to knock on the door? Or what if somebody tells you to get in or offers you this or whatever? And she's like, well, you say no, but that doesn't mean I'm God forbid. I hope nothing ever happens to anybody's kids, but that doesn't mean that that's what they'll do in real life. Like yeah. if the situation's happening. So it's, it, it is scary. Um, and, and, and the university of Michigan every year um, does a national study uh, that shows us what drugs kids are using. Mm. And also um, 
their attitude about drugs. And fairly consistently, what it shows is that these kids know that these drugs are readily available. They know that they're easily obtained. When we ask them, how easy is it for you to get marijuana? 80% of them tell us it's no big deal. We ask them, how easy is it to get alcohol? Not a big deal. I can get it wow. if I want it. So these kids know that these drugs are readily available. And then we ask them, how harmful do you think these drugs are? And they don't think they're harmful. They don't think smoking marijuana is harmful. They don't think drinking alcohol is harmful. Um, so you have these drugs that are readily available and kids don't think they're harmful. And that's a perfect setup for what we see out there. Um, and and, and it, 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 it just, you know, it's, it's, it's very concerning. Um, what the research also showed this year was, you know, during the pandemic, um, adolescent substance abuse declined. And we expected it to because kids were at home. They weren't mm -hmm. at school. They weren't with their peers. They didn't have all those social interactions. So, uh, so the, the degree of substance use went down during the pandemic year. Well, now we have a year's worth of data after the pandemic. And what we saw was that there was a rebound, you know, for, for drugs like marijuana, they didn't get back to the pre-pandemic level, but they started to increase. And what we also found was that adolescent drinking alcohol pretty much got back to the pre-pandemic level. Wow. So the pandemic really didn't change very much their drinking of alcohol. Um, so while the pandemic had the effect of for a year of bringing down substance abuse, a year after the pandemic, it seems to be uh, moving back in, in, the, in the other direction. Um, and what we have noticed also is that even before the pandemic, for three years before the pandemic, there was an alarming increase of adolescents vaping nicotine and mm. vaping marijuana. The vaping crisis among adolescents is getting to be a serious problem that parents need to be aware of. Kids are vaping nicotine and they're vaping marijuana, and the number of them that are doing so is increasing dramatically. Yeah. And so I'm just, I'm very honest person. Okay. So I'm just going to be transparent and hopefully it will help someone. You got to go through their stuff and you've got to like, and I know yeah. that sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, I did not know my son was vaping until unfortunately, again, this is me being honest and he's doing fantastic. Let me just clarify. He's now 19 and he is doing fantastic. He is a manager at his job. He is so happy. He's so healthy. He is doing so well and he's not doing all the crap he was doing before, but I had to call the cops on him. And so the police come and they don't care. They're going in his room. We found all kinds of stuff. <laughs> um, and so it, it was so scary to me. And the, the vaping, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what little cartridge thing was. I had yeah. no clue because I didn't see the actual machine or whatever it's called. I just saw a little a cartridge. I didn't know what it was. And yeah. so the thing is, you've got to, and I know you want to respect them and all this stuff, but God forbid they pass away and you don't know. You know, it's, yeah. it's more important to be involved and i'm not saying be a helicopter parent and don't ever trust them because that's not good either but 
I cleaned his room. He actually moved in with his father and he's in Maryland now and he's doing great. Okay. And now he's 19, like I said, but I cleaned out his room and I never would have thought in the day that he had drank. And I found a big vodka bottle. Mm-hmm. I mean, huge. I don't drink. I don't know how big it was like a liter. I don't know. It was a big, huge one. And I was, I was so upset. I was upset about everything. And I was upset about that. Cause I was like, in my house like he had all this stuff in my house like and i didn't even know so this is just me being transparent everybody and me being honest and you know thank god he's doing well and he's he's like sober he's doing that i know i mean he's in maryland but he's doing so well he's being productive he is so much happier he meditates every day and he's uh, he's just a different person and so he also has diagnosis of a lot of stuff. Um, so that goes hand in hand as well. And I'm very proud of him. Very sure. proud of him. But sure. I'm telling you as a parent that it's, a you know, oh, it might be embarrassing or whatever the case may be. But guess what? It might save somebody's life. So please, please. And just pay attention. I don't know. Like it's hard because he was 17 at the time, but pay attention. And I want to ask you, uh, Richard, what are some of the signs we're just going to do alcohol because there's so many drugs that in the different signs that would take forever to explain, but what, what are some of the signs that maybe your child is drinking? Yeah. Well, before we get to that, um, because you brought up such a great explanation of what I think a lot of parents are dealing with. And it was the reason why I wrote my book. Um, I, I would sit across from parents and I would go through their child's history of using a substance, what substances they were using, how young they were when they started and how often they were using. And I would give them a diagnosis of what we call a substance use disorder and they would look across at me and they would say I had no idea this was going on or if they did suspect their child was using a substance they would say I sort of knew something was going on but I didn't know it was this bad Mm -hmm. now these are good parents these are good parents doing the best job that they can do they missed the warning signs because nobody told them what to look for. Nobody told them what the warning signs were. Kids are clever. You know, kids are very clever. (laughs) They, they, They know how to be very clever about pretty much everything. But when it comes to something they shouldn't be doing or substances, they know how to, how to hide it very well. Then parents, when they find out about it, they start to, they start to beat themselves up. They start to wonder, how did I miss this? What kind of a parent am I? What went wrong? And they really start to feel bad. And, 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 and they, they miss the warning signs because nobody told them what to look for. So that's the motivation of why I wrote my book was to help parents know what those warning signs are, know how the brain works emphasize the importance of protecting the brain know what drugs are out there 
know what the warning signs are. And if you need to know what treatment options are available and how to recognize a good treatment program. All of that's packed into about 100 pages, but but once you read it, my hope is that as a parent, you will be less afraid and more confident that if you have to deal with this issue, you hope you never do, but if you do have to deal with this issue, you feel better prepared to deal with it. Um, you ask about the warning signs. Those are so important. Uh, I have in my book, I have warning signs for a child that might be drinking alcohol. I have warning signs for a child that might be smoking marijuana. I have warning signs for a child that might be developing an eating disorder mm. or self-harming themselves because sometimes, not always, but sometimes we find that uh, an eating disorder and self-injury accompanies a child using a substance. So they're doing all of it. They're, they're, they're smoking marijuana and maybe uh, self-injuring themselves or they're developing an eating disorder. So I put those warning signs in as well. Uh, so those warning signs are in the book. Um, as, a, as a general rule, what I say to parents is pay attention to the changes you see in your child. You know your child better than anyone. Don't assume that these uh, adolescent acting out behaviors are just normal adolescent behaviors. They might be. They may very well be. But they also might be an indication that there's something going on underneath the surface that you need to be aware of and check into. Signs like a child whose grades are starting to decline, uh, a child who used to participate in sports or extracurricular activities no longer shows an interest in those things, a child who used to openly introduce you to their friends, you knew who their friends were, you might have even known who their family members were, some of them, now becomes very secretive of who their friends are, becomes very secretive of where they've been. Um, and then, of course, if you find any paraphernalia around the house or any strange odors from their room, those are all warning signs, too. So pay attention to the changes that you see in your child. If those changes come and go fairly quickly, it's probably not too concerning. But if they linger on and on, and then you start to see more and more of these warning signs, then it's probably time to get some professional assessments and advice as to what's going on. And if needed, uh, what kind of treatment plan you should have. Yeah. And so I just want to tell everybody. Um, so I've been doing this. This is my second season well into it. And I've never really talked about this. So I love it. And it's important. But I just want to tell you that there's ways, which I did not know uh, at the time, to pass a drug test my son was passing drug tests because he found out ways to pass drug tests, <laughs> even the cheek one. He so I want you. My son was on probation. And when we would go, I knew he was acting weird. I'm like, we I said, you guys got to test him, please. You got to test him. So when I first thought he was smoking marijuana, I bought a home test and I didn't know if it was going to work, but they do work just to let you all know. So he wasn't even going to pee in it. Well, that's a sign right there. <laughs> Something ain't right. So finally he did. And he didn't think it was going to work because it was a home test. And what did it say? Positive. So mm -hmm. I turned him in to the probation and then they started like checking it. But they started doing the buccal one and he was using Listerine to 
block it. And it actually, he would pass. So I want y'all to know that that is possible. I did not know. I had no clue. And I was actually very frustrated because I knew that he, his behavior was off. He was acting weird. I'm like, there's no way that it's negative. Mm-hmm. No way. And then he admitted, I don't know, maybe a few months later, he admitted what he did. And I'm like, what? And so, of course, there's ways to pass the the urine one because there's all these fake synthetic things that they can do. So those are things to pay attention to and yeah. to it's it's really important. And I'm just letting you know, again, this is me putting my business out on the street, <laughs> putting my son who's doing again very well. I'm proud of him. Uh, he's doing well now. But this is things that happen. He would sneak out in the middle of the night. I didn't even know. OK, that looks bad on me. I worked. I'm a nurse. I worked 12 hours. I was gone 14 hours with the commute and everything. Atlanta traffic is horrible. And um, and I didn't know. I When I was yeah. sleeping, I was sleeping like a log. And he was sneaking out his window, going down the uh, roof, the little roof over the garage, and would be gone. And it, it was horrible. And then when I figured out that he was gone, I would ha- go chase him around all night and try to find him at 2 in the morning and bring my little one out. It was horrible. So... You yeah. just want to be careful because God forbid you don't want to end um them to end up dead or missing or something happened to them or an accident or whatever. And just know those are also signs. He used to spray cologne like crazy. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> like you don't need to smell like that, sir. Like, and that's another sign yeah. for him was that he was trying to mask it or with drinking or smoking. Maybe they are brushing their teeth a lot or, you know, doing Listerine or, or mouth washer like a uh, banaca or does that really still a thing yeah. i don't know you know those kind of things and that's things that are trying to mask it uh because you don't kiss your kids on the mouth you know when they're older but if it's a spouse it's easier to tell because you can you know kiss them and taste something yeah. but with yeah. a kid you're not usually like this with your kid i mean maybe but that's a little close so <laughs> i'm just being silly but that's true i mean okay yeah. so sorry i'm I, i'm very passionate about things because i'm really blessed and thankful that he straightened up but it could have gone the other way yeah it, it really could have and i just want to tell everybody i've had him in counseling since he was four years old his dad was addicted to many things and i know he has bipolar but he never got diagnosed and that's not a joke i have learned the signs of bipolar and that person has like all the signs of it but um so his dad always drank like always drank and did other things and whatever and so when I didn't want my son to be like that and then I actually was so protective and overprotective and it kind of pushed him the wrong way so I'm just I'm just being honest with you because it's important and our kids are our world and they're the future and we really don't want them going down the path, but things happen and it can, it could turn out. Okay. Okay. That's just hope. Again, like you said, there's hope that things will be okay. So if you're going through it right now, read his book and really like know that this is not the end. This is not the end result it can get better and your child can can get better and get clean and sober and have a great life and you know it doesn't it the scaring thing did work though i just want to say my son was on probation and 
the in Georgia for some odd weird reason, uh, 17 is a legal adult in the judicial system. So he was, if he got in trouble again, he turned 18 and he got, he went to jail before he turned 18 and he was in juvenile and we kept telling him, Hey, listen here, you're about to be 18. You're going to go to the real County jail with Mm -hmm. 50 year old grown men. And this is going to show up on your record forever. And he never went to jail since then, since, since that time. So, and and also mommy, me, uh, and people think it's cruel, but that's okay. So he actually, the judge was going to let him out of jail. And I said, Hey, I'm, I'm scared for his safety. And I meant it. I was very, very genuine said, I'm scared for his safety. He was, um, getting in arguments and people knew where we lived. I was scared for our safety. So he ended up being in jail longer maybe four days, which is a long time. And I went and visited him because that's my baby. Like I went and Mm -hmm. saw him. I didn't get him out, which you're not allowed. I mean, he had to stay, but he stayed for that four or five days or whatever. And he said, because he thought it was cool, but this time it wasn't a one day thing. It was a real thing. And so not, he was mad at me, but then he never, that was the last time he went. And so sometimes it can work because thank goodness he still had a good head on his shoulders and could comprehend. I don't want this to affect me forever. And dad situation, um, his dad always got in trouble. And so he knew that his dad is a grown man and still can't do anything on his own or, or whatever. And so he knew like, I don't want to be like that. So it kind of, you know, sometimes it could work with the laying down the facts, but you're right. Sometimes it doesn't work. Okay. So sorry. All right. Well, all right. That was very helpful what so now say we suspect something what is the first step that a parent should take if they suspect that their child is abusing or or drinking or smoking or doing drugs or whatever i think the first thing you want to do is have a conversation with your child Uh, and by that i mean don't threaten don't punish Uh, you know you want to come at this conversation from an inquiring point of view Uh, you know you're i'm seeing such and such and i'm concerned about it can you help me understand why I feel this way. You know, I'm concerned that you might be drinking. Can you can you help me understand what's going on? So you invite the child into a conversation with you by focusing on you and what your concerns are rather than the child. Now, that's a conversation that's likely to go one of two ways. It's either going to blow up and the child's going to become argumentative and defensive, or you might actually learn something. But regardless of how those first conversations go, if you're still concerned Concerned, you need to move to the next stage, which is next stage, which is to get the assessments done from the professionals that I recommend in my book. Uh, you'll need an addictions assessment to uh, get the information on on your child's use of substances and whether or not there's a diagnosis. You want to get a psychological or a neuropsychological assessment uh, uh, to see if there's an underlying issue that might be driving your child to use a substance. Um, You want to get a good comprehensive physical exam. So the next step after the conversation is if you're still concerned to get these assessments done that I recommend in my book um, uh, so that you get a comprehensive view of what's going on with your child. And if needed, um, you know, you get 
you get the appropriate diagnoses and you get the treatment plan that will guide you as to what the next step should be. And, and if treatment's needed, what kind of treatment is needed? And I, you know, my book identifies the different treatment options um, as well as how to recognize a good treatment program. So you need to rely on the professionals to do the assessments and give you the guidance that will help you decide what the next steps are going to be. Awesome. Yeah. And I just want to say really quick as being a nurse that take your prescription drugs and you need to have them in a safe place when yes. the kids get a little bit older, yes. because that's a gateway like of them finding the say it's Percocet or uh, hydrocodone, whatever. And they might start taking those or it might yes. diversion like they might try to sell, you know, so that it's important to hide your drugs because they're old enough to open it now. Like it's a, the safety thing doesn't matter on it anymore. Yeah, so right. you, if you have any medications that you take that could possibly be used in a substance. And I learned about this thing called lean, which has like cough syrup in it or something. Yeah. I don't know. So there are certain things that, like he said, please read his book. And we're going to talk about, um, he already said how to find it. We're going to ask how else to find you in a second, but but you that's need a, to go ahead. That's, that's a great point. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up uh, because um, if you're a parent and you have a child at home, doesn't matter what their age is, and you have medications, even over-the-counter medications, mm -hmm. cough syrup, for example, because kids will abuse cough syrup, yep. uh, and certainly any prescribed medications, as a parent, you need to do you need to secure those medications so that your child does not have easy access to them. And I would say the same thing for alcohol. Mm -hmm. If you have alcohol in the house, you need to, uh, you need to secure that. Um, I had a young man that, uh, that, that I worked with a very bright young man. Uh, he was getting into the family's liquor cabinet and he would go to, 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 to vodka because it's clear. Mm -hmm. And what he would do is he wouldn't take it all he would take just enough of it and then you know put water in to to, to replace it and uh, it took the family I don't know how long to figure out what was going on they eventually did but but my point is these kids are very clever they're getting into your medicine cabinet they're not going to take all the pills they're just going to take a few right. and and who you know, we don't count the number of pills that we have. So it's very unlikely that you would even notice that maybe your kid has gotten into uh, one of the medicines and taken uh, three or four or five or six pills, whatever. So yes, that's excellent advice. Um, if you have liquor, if you have medications prescribed or over the counter, you need to secure those if you have kids at home. Yes. It, and I just thought of it right now because I can think of so many situations that I've heard of or different things. And again, me being a nurse, you know, you hear everything. I also worked in a pain clinic. Yeah. So in that instance, we do count their pills and they mm -hmm. have to, you know, um, take a urine test to make sure they are taking it. So it's the opposite. <laughs> we are <laughs> on to make sure they are taking their own drugs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if they're short, any, like it counts against them, but it's really important. Like he said, also alcohol. I've heard of people doing kids doing the same thing, diluting it um, and making it look the same. You could even probably do it with dark liquor because you can mix 
whatever. I don't know stuff together. So kids are smart. And once they get hooked on it, they will do, I mean, just outrageous things that you never would think. My son stole money from me before. And um, so, and it was heartbreaking. And then he would argue with me and I'm like, you're the only one that could have took it. Like, (laughs) like the only one. I'm not that like, you know, out on the left field. Like I know, but you know, so, and those things hurt, but it's important. Like, like he said, it's also important to check in with them. Even if you don't suspect something, check in with them. How was your day? What's going on? Da, 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 da. And just be there for them. That way they yeah. can feel like they can talk to you and open up to you. It's yeah. important to have communication with them. And let's just say, you know, I wasn't the perfect parent. I had my kids at 18 and 20. So there's a lot of stuff that my 21 year old is mad at me about from when he was little that I will, I learned from it. And so now I have a nine year old and I'm like, well, I'm so sorry to him. And I'm not horrible things, but just different things. Like, but, um, you know, we moved and this, this and that, but like with my nine year old, like I've learned, you know, I learned and grew and like, oh, okay, now let me, let me not be as overprotective because that didn't work. (laughs) Every kid's different, but you know, so have you with, I don't know. Do you have a way that they can reach you? Like, so if somebody sees, reads your book, has any parents ever reached out to you and said like, Hey, you've helped or anything like that. Have you had feedback? I had one parent, uh, you know, get in touch with me and and wanted me to meet with them over the oh. phone uh, to talk about a situation that they were dealing with. So I was able to do that. Um, there's a number of book reviews of people who have read the book. Um, there's some endorsements from uh, professionals wow. who have read the book, uh, and all of that's available on the on the on the, uh, on the book's website, helptheaddictedchild.com. So, um, you know, my perspective on this book was, and and still is, if it saves just one child's life, it's it's worth it. Um, and mm-hmm. by talking to people like yourself who host these sessions, the podcast. Um, you really are helping me reach out to parents and get this information out there. So, you know, maybe together we we may make a difference in a child's life. Um, you know, certainly if you know of any parents, any friends, um, you know, recommend that they read the book, recommend Absolutely. that they get it. Even if you don't have a child that uh, um, is struggling, this book will help you feel more confident. And if if you don't need the book, maybe, maybe another family will, or another friend will, and you can loan it out to them. Yeah. And and that's important. And even like you said, just being knowledgeable, uh, because some of us might have nieces, nephews or whatever yeah. cousins, I don't know. And right. that maybe you can realize something or recognize signs in them or, and you can help and say, you know, that's a hard conversation to have with your sibling or whatever. Hey, it seems like, so-and-so, you know, my niece or nephew might be exhibiting yeah. this, but it's important. And again, like you said, I'm so thankful that you're, that you wrote this because it is so important to help make any impact, but if it can save a child's life, if it could save anybody's life. And even what if the adult reading it has having some issues too, I mean, it can help mm-hmm. anybody and the fact with the self-harming and all that stuff. I mean, there's some 
some young people that do it into adulthood and yes. it is so sad and it's like i've i've interviewed somebody and i asked them okay and i just want to say this she's now a nurse who w- went on mission trips she does a lot of great things she worked in the icu during the pandemic she owns a gym with her husband she just had her first kid she is doing fantastic and she used to cut herself yeah and i asked her how did that feel and she was like she said it takes away the pain of everything else for the Mm -hmm. moment yes Yes. so people don't know that's what i say all the time and everybody says that i didn't make it up but you don't know what someone's going through so being kind to them and being there for them it could save their life as well that's right So just just be a good human being just know that this doctor this lawyer this billionaire might have had mental mental health issues and hopefully it doesn't come back but anything could stem you know if i mean you just you really really just be kind to people and being knowledgeable is the best thing i had a teacher my nursing instructor love her mrs kerwood love you uh she used to say the more knowledgeable a patient and the more educated a patient is the more compliant the patient is yeah that's true and it's true it's like if you know the ins and outs the whys the whatever just like how amazing you said about the brain thing like learning about the brain that's so Mm -hmm. smart i never would have thought of it that way so where else can we find you um do you have social media or just the website or what um i do have social media i'm available on um you know facebook i'm available on twitter i'm available on uh, linkedin you know the the whole the whole run of things. Um, but the easiest way is to go to the book's website, okay. www.helptheaddictedchild.com. Um, you can read some, uh, some reviews, some endorsements. There's some interesting blog articles that I posted, including, you know, how the pandemic affected uh, substance use, uh, how substance use changed a year after the pandemic or so. And I have one blog article that uh, really would be useful for for kids, uh, for parents who have young kids. And it's a, it's 10 questions that you can ask your, your child to check in on their mental health wow. every once in a while. Simple things that can be fun. Like uh, one of them is, um, if your feelings were weather, what kind of a day would it be outside today? So things like that, that that parents can use very quickly every once in a while to sort of just check in on their child's mental health. Um, and then there's a link that will take you to Amazon where if you want to order the book as a Kindle or as a paperback, um, it'll take you directly to Amazon and you can order the book. Wow, that is so awesome. And thank you. I actually want to get that to ask my daughter questions because she's nine (laughs) and she is a girl and she's getting hormonal oh Oh, boy (laughs) (laughs) i had three boys so like well i still have three boys they're alive thank god but um but the boys are older and so this girl stuff is is different for me (laughs) but so it's important (laughs) to to learn those things and like you said check in with them and every day yeah. and and my um boyfriend's really good at it like he always makes sure the first thing he says to her is how was your day what did you learn yeah. today so um and sometimes i get caught up on the you know oh hi and all this stuff and i don't ask it right away but he's very <laughs> good about it he has a routine good good yeah so it's important to to let them know number one you care 
Number right. two is paying attention. Okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's a, paying attention and you care and that they're loved and they're important. So, yeah. it, you know, but I'm just so thankful that you came and talked to us. And I know that you are helping so many people. And I encourage all of you to go get the book. Like you can listen to it on Kindle, right? Can you listen to stuff on Kindle or? Uh, no, but you can no. read it on Kindle. You can read it on Kindle and then you can buy it. I, I like physical. Yeah, I do uh, too. Books. Yeah. yeah. That's so, a good resource. You can keep it in your library. Absolutely. And maybe and, loan it to a friend if, if they need it. And, and sharing is caring. Yeah. Because you, you never know that you could be helping them. And like you said, and the more people that are educated on these things, the more that you can notice it. And if you're a teacher, it's great to know these things as well. Absolutely. And yeah. So, it, I mean, any, any job, but you know, a teacher, a counselor, a therapist, a nurse, uh, whatever people that work around small kids. Um, it's very important to recognize the signs as well because we yeah. are a village and we want all the children to grow up to be happy and productive and healthy and and successful and all those things. So I had one person suggest to me that, you know, if you're a member of a book club or maybe you meet with friends every once in a while to go through books that you enjoy reading, bring this as a book and, and, and bring it to your book club and have a discussion around the book. I think that would be really helpful, too. Absolutely. That is fantastic because you know, sometimes the the books that they read are just like, I don't know, Fifty Shades of Grey or something. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. But I'm just thinking like, and it's and to to read something that can actually help and and save a life and make you more aware. That's yeah. that's a great, great idea. That was great advice. So thank you so much, Richard. You have been thank amazing. You. This has been such a great episode that I'm so excited to share with everyone and to share with you out there, the listener, and hopefully it helps you and you can help save a life as well from being educated on this. Yeah. Go out and buy the book is going to help. Even if you don't even have a kid, buy the book because again, you can recognize the signs of stuff. So thank you so much, Richard. I will talk to you again. I'd love to have you on in the future again maybe in season three and sure. we can talk about stuff again we can talk about the book we can talk about whatever uh you've done because it will help people regardless you know so thank you so much i really appreciate your time and um i will keep in touch with you thank you danelle appreciate your help thank you You're so welcome. much and i uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your day thank you you too Oh my goodness. What an amazing episode. I'm so happy to have talked to Richard. Please go out and get his book. It will help. It can help you. It can help save your child's life or somebody else's life and just be educated because there's so many things out now that I didn't even know what in the world they were. And it is really crazy to me, the, the drugs that there is now. And like, I didn't even know that cops cough syrup was used in a drug but it is so these are things that are important to know that can help someone maybe help your child or help somebody else's or an adult it can help an adult because adults do these drugs as well but hopefully if we, the you see the signs and it can stop maybe help them get them some treatment 
and hopefully it will help save their life and they'll get clean and that'll be the end of it. So I I just want to say that I'm so proud of my son again. And, you know, I kind of feel bad sharing his, his story, but um, I hope it helps you. I hope that if you're a parent and you're going through this right now, I hope what I told you about my situation and my child helps you because he's doing great and I'm so proud of him. It's important for you to know that, that it is not your, you don't necessarily stay in the darkness forever. It was rough for a while. It was scary. I didn't know if he was going to die. I didn't know what was going to happen to him, uh, especially when he would be missing in the middle of the night and um, just all the whole situation. But I'm very, very grateful that he is doing well and he is healthy and happy and successful now. And his, you know, he's working in a grocery store, but he's a manager and he's doing great. So there is hope. Don't give up. Please read the book. It, I, it'll help you. Okay. And I'm going to get the book too. So reach out to Richard, uh, leave him a review. And I'm just very grateful that he came and gave us all this amazing uh, information. So also everybody I've talked about, um, my life coach, what I was doing. So I got certified. I have individual and group coaching. I have PTSD coaching and um, grief coaching. So reach out to me if you need help with that. I would love to help you. And, you know, we'll just talk. Everybody gets a free discovery call for 30 minutes. So if you want to see if I'm a good fit for you for a coach or you don't know if you even want to do coaching or what in the world is coaching, <laughs> uh, just let me know. Okay. So my website, look, this is all new to me, is heal.me. And then it's authentic points of view, I believe. <laughs> coaching. I'm looking it up literally. This is like me doing this, I promise you. So um let's see. I don't know. Look, I'm like, I don't know. Uh <laughs> I think it really is. I'm switching to the client view. I'm so sorry. Okay. I really think it's heal.me and then like a slash authentic points of view coaching. Okay. So look me up there or you can reach out to me at authentic points of view at gmail.com or on social media, um, authentic points of view podcast. And then I have authentic points of view coaching. So reach out to me if you need to talk if you want to see if I'm a good fit, if you love the podcast, you can reach out to me. I've interviewed people that have emailed me. I've interviewed people that have messaged me on my pod page website as well. So I really do want to talk to people with authentic points of view. That's I'm what I say is what I mean. Okay. And I've always loved to help people. I've talked about today how I would talk to uh, the patients that had addictions and stuff like that and talk to them or mental health issues or whatever. And I would really like dive into what's going on in their life and talk to them like a human because they are. And so if you're grieving right now, 
I would love to help you. If you have PTSD, I would love to help you. So have a great night. Thank you for watching. And I will see you next Wednesday. Bye. Thanks for listening to Authentic Points of View podcast. I hope that something you heard today changes your point of view. If you would like to share your views, please email me at authenticpointsofview at gmail.com or leave a comment on Facebook at Authentic Points of View Podcast. Remember, always be mindful of other people's journeys and have open ears and an open heart. listening to authentic points of view podcast i hope that something you heard today changes your point of view if you would like to share your views please email me at authentic points of view at gmail.com or leave a comment on facebook at authentic points of view podcast remember always be mindful of other people's journeys and have open ears and an open heart